Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, and entrepreneurship. Whether this is your first time here or you're an avid listener, we're thrilled to have you a part of our community. Our goal is to share successful stories of entrepreneurs and investors in the hopes that these stories inspire you along your journey towards financial freedom. We discuss successes, failures, systems, motivations, experiences, and key lessons learned over time. After each episode, you should feel motivated, empowered, and prepared to take action in your own life. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily content, personal finance tips, and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here, back with another episode for you. We had on special guest Kyle Stanley, aka Fearless Kyle, as our interviewee today. Um, Great guy. He is an Airbnb operator and coach who's built a portfolio of 65 properties in just under three years. Fun fact, he only owns six of these properties, and he's done a little bit of arbitrage and Airbnb co-hosting or short-term rental co-hosting in order to build his business just a different take on the whole short-term rental investing strategy that we've been talking a lot about in recent episodes. So um, I think it's an important episode that just peels back different layers than what we've talked about before. Totally different layers. And he is also a manager. So like that's how he makes the majority of his money is he actually manages other people's Airbnbs, that and the co-hosting. So he owns six of his own Airbnb properties. Uh, and then that building that 65 in three years was a lot of co-hosting, set, uh, getting long-term leases, and then putting the those properties on Airbnb after getting the operator or the landlord's permission. So very, very cool, different episode because it's really about business and forming this business and the outsourcing behind it as opposed to like the real estate investing itself. But Kyle is an Airbnb master and he he really understands like the ins and outs of the business and how to get your property to show up on Airbnb. What are the 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 details? Yeah, how to maximize profits, right? And yeah. automate his systems. So he's done an incredible job in a very short amount of time. So I think everybody's going to really like this episode. Without further ado, let's bring him in. Well, Kyle, officially welcome to the show. Corey and I are thrilled to have you on here so you can uh, drop some knowledge on us and our listeners. Awesome. Excited to be on here, guys. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for coming on. If you could kind of start us off from the top, who you are, where you're from, and then how you got into real estate investing. Yeah. um, Airbnb is my main thing and and really was a windy journey on the way to it. Today I'm 34 and really from the time I was 23 years old, getting out of college, uh, I've been a struggling entrepreneur ever since then. And so, um, I actually was a sports anchor for a local TV station in Grand Junction, Colorado, right out of college Thought I was going to be the next, like, you know, sports guy on ESPN, or I'm a huge Cubs fan, as you can see, if you're watching all right now, I have the voice for it a little bit. I, now I'm noticing it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I feel it. Uh, I, I done my best to try to get rid of it, but it, it just keeps on creeping back up. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I went down that route and found out very early that I don't like taking direction from other people. Um, who would have yeah. known being an only child who would have ever thought that. Right. Uh, so I, I definitely, uh, just kind of identified that very early on. And in doing that, I just was like, all right, like, what could I do? And I just, from there, just started trying a lot of things. So I created a video uh, business where I was making videos for high school athletes to help them get recruited to play in college that eventually kind of translated into actually helping them get connected with college coaches, started a business from that. Um, and really just honestly, at that time did not have the guidance, didn't have the mentorship, didn't have the how to and how to do the business. And, you know, that was right around the time that was gosh, 2012, you know, not everyone was Googling and YouTubing how to build a business at that time. That was still one of those things that I just was trying to figure out on my own. And so from there, got into multi-level marketing, um, got into some sales jobs, uh, worked on myself really for, from the time I was 26 to the time I was about 30 years old, was just listening to podcasts every day, reading books, getting up early, uh, just that was a grind and really where I attribute a lot of just my, my uh, journey of actually finding real estate to where my dad was actually uh, on his deathbed starting in um, September of 2018. 
uh, had been diagnosed with bone cancer about two years before and just was kind of at the end of his life. So I'd moved back from Arizona to, to Fresno, California. And, um, you know, it was around that time I was still kind of doing some sales. I was still dabbling in multi-level marketing and I just really, you know, it's funny, you know, it's one of those moments of like really reflecting on your life of like, where am I going? What am I doing? And is this truly what life is all about working 40 to 60 hours, chasing a carrot, thinking eventually you're going to get to passive income, but it really never gets there. Um, and, and that's when I started transitioning some of the things I was listening to into real estate podcasts and eventually heard about this thing that was coming to town from, I'm sure you guys have heard about it, fortune builders. Um, and I was like, all right, cool. Let me go and check out this whole flipping thing. And I went to a for fortune builders event. It was uh, January 6th of 2019. Uh, my dad passed away about 10 days later and I was starting a new job literally right around that time. So it was just like the craziest two weeks that anyone could have with all these life changes. And, um, yeah, man. So started flipping houses and it was right around the second flip that I really started getting my eye on Airbnb. And, uh, man, since then, you know, going all in on Airbnb since really May of 2019, fast forward to today, we don't own 90% of our portfolio. We essentially are either what we call arbitraging or co-hosting for these owners and it's allowed for us to create an incredible cash flowing business where sometimes we're ticking up to $60,000 of net cash flow every single month. And this has been developed in under three years and is extremely low liability, extremely low risk. And for that reason, um, it's something I'm extremely passionate about because it's changed my life. Love it. Love it. So it's funny when people say they go all in on Airbnb, the initial thought is like, all right, you accumulated 50 Airbnb properties, you purchased them all, right? right. Uh, but in reality, you created a business around Airbnb. And I know you happen to own some properties too, but mm -hmm. maybe just dive into those two facets that you were talking about here, the co-hosting and the managing, how they differ and kind of give us like the story of how these businesses work and bring in that $60,000 now that you're talking about? Yeah, that's a great question. So just foundationally keeping things really simple. Uh, arbitrage is going to be where you lease from a landlord and with their permission, sublease it on a platform like Airbnb and you keep all the profits. So if I rent it out for $4,500 uh, for the month, my rent is $2,000 and my expenses are $2,500. I have netted $2,000 at a property that I do not own. This became really popular right around 2017. Um, I heard about it for the first time at the end of 2018. And that was really like, to me, uh, just, just a complete light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, you mean I don't have to go and drop, you know, six figures on a business to create a, or a, on a property to create a thousand to $2,000 per month cash flow. All I needed was really just the furniture consumables and the, the first month's rent, which really for most places is going to be under $20,000. And you're talking about over hundred percent return year one, and you really start making your great money year two. So that was a light bulb moment for me started really running down that path. And before I knew it, people were asking me, what if you went and managed my Airbnb instead of leased it from me? And so that's what co-hosting is. I get paid to set up the property to make it Airbnb ready. And I get paid a percentage every single month started at 20%. Now I'm at 25% of the gross revenue collected. And so I'm paid based on how I help that property perform. And now I have a property that I have zero liability, well, almost as close as zero liability and zero financial responsibility. And I can make, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars just like I can in arbitrage, but with zero expenses attached to it. So that's how we really grew it. I started with arbitrage. I saw the vision of that. Um, I went, I still went and bought a couple properties because I still, you know, was in the mindset of like, I need to spend money to, um, you know, to get the appreciation, uh, appreciation, the depreciation, the tax advantages, all that good stuff. But, you know, when I ran out of money, I was like, oh, okay, that's where I need to be doing a little bit more of this arbitraging. And then when coasting came along, man, it was just like, okay, we can really grow this thing. So, um, you know, just the evolution Start, if you remember, I started in May of 2019, we got to six properties and then this thing in 2020 happened called COVID. Ooh, and yeah. so it paused us for like three months. And we had no idea what we were going to do. But on the back end of that, I was screaming to, to the world, hey, Airbnb is still working. We're still making it through despite this pandemic. And because of that, 
everyone and their mom was calling me, wanting me to co-host with them right around July and August of 2022 or sorry, 2021. No, it was 2020. Um, that was still 2020 still doing that. And, and from July until November, uh, we added on 16 properties to go from a basically about six properties to 22 to 23 properties. Um, and since then it's just, you know, it's done nothing but the hockey stick effect just gone up and up and up. So let me understand, make sure I understand this correctly. Like <clears throat> as long as you're leasing out a property, you could be leasing it anywhere and you could be on 50 leases. As long as you're paying the rent, the P like the landlords probably don't care. Right. So are, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this. So you'll be, you'll go to call it 50 different. They won't necessarily be apartment complexes, right. But 50 different homes, whatever they are, you're the, you're leasing it like any normal long-term tenant would. And then you're getting permission from the landlord to put all of those on Airbnb. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So 100%. the barrier to entry in this, into this for the quote unquote common person is pretty low, right? You just have to be normally renting where you would normally live. I guess the question is, where would you live? Maybe you'd have to rent. Would you have to rent two places? I just want to figure out like, how does that work for somebody who's like just getting started? And they're like, yeah, I could do this if I got permission from my landlord. Yeah. Well, that's all you need is permission from your landlord, but I would also, you know, back that up and say that they need to get it in an LLC. You know, I would be signing these leases as corporate leases in an LLC um, to remove yourself from the debt to income, to remove yourself from the liability. If you default, which you should never default because you need to be doing uh, the right deals. Don't just go and take anything just because you get a yes from a landlord doesn't mean it's a good deal. Uh, just like as if you were to find a, a seller, um, off market just because they've named a price and you've agreed on on a price doesn't mean it's a good deal. You got to do your numbers still. And so, um, yeah, that, that's the the big things there is I just make sure it's an LLC and that you're doing the right deal evaluation. Got it. So maybe like, how do you define two, two sides of this? How do you define a good deal from an ownership standpoint and owning an Airbnb? Um, because we're selfishly like in that mode, we're trying to look for right. one. How do you find a good deal there? And then how does it differ from finding a good deal from the co-hosting side? Obviously I understand the management you get paid based on the, the revenue that comes in. Yeah. Well, let's start with ownership. It's just like doing an ARV on a property, right? You look at comps, you do your best to try to figure out what are those comps making and then you're able to plug it into some sort of calculator, which by the way, I actually um, have for your audience if they want to download it. So um, on my website, fearlesskyle.com, if you go to the homepage there, there's a masterclass, absolutely free. Uh, you can get your first Airbnb in the next 30 days if you learn from that. And right around minute 30 in that masterclass, you'll get the calculator uh, to be able to download right there. So I use the, the calculator along with a little little uh, management system, or you could call it like the MLS of Airbnb. It's called AirDNA. And essentially it'll show you, Hey, uh, I've got a property on one, two, three main street, and I can look on main street and within half a mile and see, okay, this same property that has three bedrooms, two baths is a single family home. The like properties in that area are getting $150 a night and they're 80% occupied okay, I have the numbers now. Now I just need to reverse engineer my expenses. And am I making money? Okay, cool. I am. This is a deal. Let's go for it. Or it's not. All right. Now I know exactly what a deal doesn't look like. So I'm not going to do this one. So it's, you know, that's what I, I, and I think that's why it was such a nice, easy transition from, from, you know, going and, and flipping houses to doing Airbnbs because it really is the same concepts. You're still using deal evaluation. You're still, uh, you know, working on building relationships with people that are going to bring you leads. And, and, you know, the, there's the sales aspect. There's so many different, um, well, there's so many like skills that you need in real estate that equivalate over to Airbnb. And that's why I kind of feel like it's the new real estate investing. Cool. So when you sign these corporate leases to be able to do the co-living stuff, are you signing one year leases or are you telling these, these owners like, Hey, I'm going to sign a three year lease to make sure that you're, you're kind of locked into this rate. Just give us some background on how that works. If it's a normal lease. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't really make my money until year two. Like I, I need to be making my money back worst case scenario, month nine, that's like my, right. my barrier of entry. If I'm not making my money back by month nine, then this deal is not worth it for me. Um, so, but if I'm making my money back month nine, then everything from there, I'm in the green. And so that means year two really is the, the big one. So 
Uh, you know, we'll, we'll do two year, two year leases or we'll do a one year lease with a uh, one year evaluate or sorry, a two year lease with a one year evaluation period that gives each of us an out if we need it. Um, we'll also, you know, jump in and, and say, Hey, you know, if you want to, after year one, um, increase the rent, um, you know, that's fine too. We just want to be able to make sure that we're here beyond year one. At least that's the verbal and the written, um, idea here. But I tell every single one of my landlords, like, I want to be the last tenant to, to sign a lease with you. Like, I want you to be so happy with me and I want to be so happy with the results that I'm getting that we have a mutual beneficial relationship that you're not going to have to go and search for another tenant and you're going to have peace of mind that your property is in way better condition than if you had a long-term tenant, because if it's not in good condition, if there's a hole in the wall and that next guest shows up, like you're I'm not getting, getting a, I'm getting a one-star review. Yeah. I don't right. have a business. So, so, and I was just talking to one of my students about that today. He, he's just getting started. He just got his first yes uh, today from a landlord. And he was like, I just don't understand why a landlord would say no to this. Like you, you're going to, you have a business that you want to make money in. It's, it's going to be beneficial for you to treat that house like your baby. Like don't landlords want them to treat their, their houses like, like it's their own baby. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. So if you can just take that same mindset into speaking with a landlord and saying, Hey, I'm going to treat this house just as well as you would, because I'm running a business. That's why a landlord want to sign with you. Awesome. Can you talk about whether you are hosting or co-hosting or you own the property yourself, key factors that make up a good deal? Like I'm thinking, but maybe bedrooms, um, if there's specific rent that you look for per month, I know there's occupancy rates and all that. There's a ton of factors in it, right? But what's the difference? I'm just thinking the differences between long-term rentals and short-term rentals. I know there's a lot of different factors that make that short terms need to take in consideration versus long-term. You know, Everything is super dependent. Um, and I, and I hate to give that answer cause I'd love to give you just like the, here's the top three things that you have to have. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, if I'm going to go to a beach town, like, you know, there's a beach town really close to us here in California called uh, Cayucas. Um, I know that the best places over in Cayucas are going to be one or two bedrooms because they're typically only going to attract couples. Whereas if I'm going to Phoenix, Arizona, and I'm going for spring training, or I'm going for a bachelorette party, I'm probably bringing 14, 15 of my friends. And I want to get in those big houses and we'll spend $3,000 a night, you know? So you really have to understand your market first, but what I would say is the non-negotiable is it needs to be in a safe location. Um, you, you cannot, if you can't walk outside with your dog and your wife and your kid at night without, you know, worrying and looking over your shoulder, you shouldn't be running an Airbnb there. Um, number two is I would definitely make sure that the city has proper regulations that will allow for it. And um, we were just talking about this today in, in a, a mastermind. I wouldn't be looking for a place with no regulations. I would be looking for a place with semi-regulations. Um, like they've so, already thought of it, so to speak. Like, it's, yeah, it's exactly. There. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. So like Arizona passed a law recently that like you cannot, these can never be banned, but like Scottsdale came out and said, well, yeah, we're not going to, we can't ban them, but we can tell you that you can't have any more than 10 people. It's either eight or 10 uh, in the house at one time. And so it's things like that. It's like, okay, you, I get it. You see me, you're not putting me in handcuffs, but you are just kind of keeping the leash a little bit short. And that allows me to still have an active business. Uh, but it doesn't give me the jeopardy of losing a business overnight. Or, you know, for example, a lot of places have 30 night minimums. I think that's really difficult. I, I just would stay away from something like that where it's 30 night minimums because it becomes extremely difficult to look at that. You're no longer looking at a short-term rental. You're looking at a midterm rental and midterm becomes, you know, a lot less profitable in most cases. Got it. Cool, Kyle. So, I mean, let's look at this from a standpoint of like what we're looking to get into. Sure. And I want to ask a question that probably a lot of our listeners may be thinking about as they open up the door, this realm into short-term rentals. As we look into a specific market, we've talked about Orlando on the show and we run our numbers we're finding that it's a lot more difficult to cash flow, not impossible, a lot more difficult to cash flow when you're hiring that 20 to 25% property manager. But what I want you to do is sell that for me. Why? Because this is how you make your money. This is your business. Like, why is it important? 
maybe not important, you tell us, for somebody do you think to hire a property manager, what are the benefits that you think that these, that these owners are getting and why should we? And I'll t- we're, we're talking about how we already want to, but I'm just trying to find the right deal and how it makes sense because the difference between $2,500 a month in cash flow and $800 a month in cash flow is enough for us to do with the deal or not do the deal. Yes. So maybe yes. just speak to the property management aspect there. All right. Well, if you want me to put my salesman hat on. Put it on, man. I, yeah. I want to see it. <laughs> so can, can you cut your own hair? <laughs> yeah, not, not very well. Wouldn't want to see that, but I could. Exactly. So that's what it comes down to. Do you want to learn how to cut your own hair and, and do it and try to do it as well as someone who is going to do it that much better than you and you pay a premium? Um, so to me, it's the same thing with short-term rentals. If you're willing to go out and learn, I want to encourage everyone go out, learn. I mean, I'm, I'm a perfect example. It took me literally about three to four months to, to truly learn like, okay, here's how I manage it. Here's how I maximize revenue. And here's how I automate the process. It doesn't take that long to learn, but if you're a high producer and you've got your hand in seven different pots. And, you know, like I was uh, one of my friends, uh, Chris Craddock, he's um, got the Uncommon Real Estate Podcast. He's He's got like 11 streams of income and he just bought an Airbnb and he's like, how should I manage it on my own? I'm like, absolutely not. Like you're going to A, have a lower revenue and B, a lower occupancy. And you're going to C, put in way more time to make the same or less than if you hired an expert who understands how to be able to get within the Airbnb algorithm, how to be able to create a five-star experience for repeat guests, how to be able to bring in, like, you know, going and just hiring cleaners, you're going to have turnover with cleaners. Do you want to manage that turnover with cleaners? If you're going to do this once or twice, I'm just telling you, it's going to feel like a full-time job. But if you want to turn this into a business where you have five properties or more, keeping in mind, it's best to keep them in one place when you're under 10 properties, because you have to create a team every single time you move into a new market. Right. Um, It's best, it's best to do uh, to learn the business at that point, because now you have, you're going to make enough money to be able to hire on internal people that can handle those things for you rather than paying a premium for the outside people like myself. Okay. So we're going to take some of those, uh, bullet points and ask you to dive a little bit deeper into them. It's like, what, what are some of those tips for maximizing profits? If you're willing to share, uh, because that is the name of the game in this business. And, and we're like, we, I said before, we're looking to get into this, but I would love to hand this over to somebody else. So not only maximizing profits, but one question before we actually get into that, does, do you as the manager help uh, hosts and owners furnish the properties as well, or is that portion on the owner? So first just talk about that and then talk about the, the maximizing of the profits and, and how, how you do that. Okay. Well, so maximizing the profits, um, super simple. Um, there is an amazing technology out there called price labs that I use price labs, um, which by the way, if you want me to, I can send you our, um, our, our, free 30 day trial with that. Um, and yeah, that you get a, an onboarding training from someone on their team as well. But if you can think about it, when you guys go and you go and book a hotel or you book a, uh, an airline, uh, a flight, what are you doing? You're, you're looking on Monday and it's one price. You look on Tuesday. Now it's a different price Wednesday. Oh, why, why are these prices changing? That's called dynamic pricing. So price labs is a tool that will literally do that for you based on supply and demand. So for example, I'm in Phoenix, Super Bowl is coming up this next year. If I were to go onto my price labs on all of my properties right now, you would see this little steep uptick in February uh, because people are already booking out that properties in those areas in February. And so price lab sees it, they see demand and they jack up prices. On the flip side, if they're like, hey, we're seven days within a vacancy. We're going to drop the price down because obviously this is, this property is not in high enough demand. We needed to drop the price. So increasing occupancy, increasing your rates um, and decreasing the amount of time that you have to put into these properties with research of, of rates and, and, you know, minimum night stays and all that. It does. It's going to essentially you, you set it up once and it goes and it does its job again and again and again. 
Um, so that's just one tip on top of that, you know, just making sure that, you know, your avatar, I think is the biggest thing. Um, if I'm in a beach town, I need to know why people are coming there. And especially if I got a little one bedroom, one bath, I'm probably leaving a little bottle of wine every time, you know, on a turnover, because I'm going to have a couple come into a beach town and they want to be able to have a romantic getaway. I want to be able to, to give them that experience. So those are the things that you have to think about of, you know, what's going to attract people to my place. First of all, what's going to make them spend more money and then um, using a dynamic pricing tool like price labs. Um, second part of that question again, I have one really quick, just before you go yeah. into it too. Um, this is still on maximizing profits. Do you, make a guest book or a virtual guest book. I know there's like two different versions of this, right? Like some people leave it on their listing or, or once people book, they send it to them virtually. And then some people are old school, right? You know, when you go to like, a, like a, I don't know, like a mom and pop old bed and breakfast, right? There's like a welcome book and you can sign your name and stuff like that. I'm curious if you do that or if it makes a difference at all. Uh, we no longer do them in person. Uh, we took those out during COVID mainly just another touch point that we had felt like we had to clean. That was a little annoying. Uh, and those things get just, they get worn down and damaged pretty easily. So we've made them virtual and we've actually, you know, this is now getting really deep, but th that's become our lead magnet to get people on our list so we can uh, market to them directly after they leave. So now they're on their, our email list. Great. I love that. So it's basically just keeping that person in your hopper for uh, just a return customer, right? Yeah, exactly. They get a little email as soon as they show up to the place saying, hope you're enjoying your first night. Say, by the way, if you're coming back into town, uh, message us and we'll get you your 10% discount. And essentially that's just directing them to our direct booking website, which is cutting out the 12% the of Airbnb fees. Um, and now we control our customer a little bit more. Got it. I love that. The other question I remember that what it was is we're talking about, um, do you help owners furnish the properties? Is that something that you do? And the reason why I asked it is because we're looking at, although you mentioned before the, on the show, Philadelphia is a good Airbnb market, but we're actually looking to go across the country. And one of the concerns is we need to buy a furnished place because I'm not going to take seven trips in a month to try to go down there and do it. So just yeah. give us some insight there. Yeah. If you're going to hire a management company that should be part of their services, or at least they should have some sort of interior designer that they're referring you to that comes at a reasonable rate. Um, and that was something right away that I was implementing into our business. Um, if anyone's out there that's trying to do this on their own, I would just say, make a great relationship with an interior designer. Tell them you're going to send them client after client after client, and they need to give their best rates. Um, that will just make you that much more valuable to that client. Um, but as we grew and as we got to 30, 40 properties, we had enough people on our team and we had enough idea of, okay, here's what a good Airbnb looks like from a furnishing standpoint that we just created some templates and kept it in house. And we were able to now charge even less to our clients, but because of our labor and costs, we were able to use that as another stream of income for our business. Love it. Okay. Sounds good. What about the automation part of your business? Because I imagine that you're not the person who's taking all the phone calls. You know, somebody is on Christmas Eve and they're standing in, staying in a really nice place and they need to get something. And obviously you can't wait three days because it's not a long-term rental. You got to be on top of your, on top of your shit because if you're not, they're not going to leave you these five-star reviews. It's got to feel like this instant thing. So what are some of the ways that you're automating your business? Are you using the VAs as a system? Just talk to that a little bit. Yeah. I put in about three to five hours uh, in my business per week. I would say five hours would be a heavy week. Um, and we, it's an evolution process. If you're just starting out, so there's some great technologies that automate the majority of the business. I already mentioned one of them price labs, you know, you can now stop spending an hour on your, your calendar every day and just let it do its job. Um, and on top of that, there's a, system called hospitable. It's a channel manager. There's hundreds of channel managers out there, but hospitable is the best to start off with. And it's going to automate 80% of guest communication. Um, if you can just imagine for a second, a guest says, Hey, we'd like to book your place and we're ready to book. We're trying to book these days. And they get an automated message within three minutes that says, Hey, I see you're trying to book. Can you please do me a favor and go over the house rules? Make sure that you agree to the house rules by the way, what's the reason for your stay? 
And meanwhile, you're having dinner with your family and you're enjoying life. You're doing your thing. And, you know, an hour later you get to come back and you get to see that the automated message initiated the guests to be able to give their response, to tell why they're coming into town. They agree to the house rules. Okay, cool. I can just click an accept button. And I got to eliminate having to do all this back and forth. Um, I say 80% because, you know, then there's those things that like, Hey, um, we want to know how far we are from the convention center, those random questions that you just don't get very often. And you got to go in there and manually do it. And that's where absolutely having co-hosts, um, in the form of VAs or in the form of in-person, you know, assistants, runners can be a huge thing right out of the gate. And you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be making tons and tons of money to afford someone like that. I mean, VA is for us, $800 a month. 40 hours work week from the Philippines. Um, if I, heck when the way that I started, I didn't even have VAs. I just grabbed one of my cleaners and said, Hey, you seem like you're really good with communication. You seem like you want to make some extra money. You seem driven. What if I added you as a co-host? I showed you how to respond to these guests and then you take it from there and I pay you X amount of dollars for every property that we have. And so there's, there's a lot of great, and that's, what's cool about this business is that I feel like there's a lot of different, you know, odd jobs about this, that if you just find anyone that you have any sort of, um, relationship with or warm introduction to that just is hungry to make some money, uh, even shoot, you can even look at it as an internship, um, as well. And you can just bring people into your business and give them opportunities to be able to gain experience and make money. Sounds like outsourcing is the name of this game. Like oh, 100%. Taking the skill sets that you know that are needed and finding the people, the who, not how, and plugging them in to let them run this business. Obviously, it takes a lot of trust, but it's uh, it's pretty cool that you're able to build this. And I kind of want to talk about your personal Airbnbs and maybe dive into like a specific deal that you have or a specific sure. one. It actually doesn't have to be one of your personal ones. Just give us like a, a cool um, run through of either a deal that you bought a deal that you're, that you're managing co-hosting and, um, maybe some numbers on what it rents for, uh, and some specifics on what it brings you. Yeah. And, and just to your point there, I do want to say that like, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the visionary. I don't like doing the implementation. I'm, I, I just surround myself with really good implementers and that's why I've been able to, to do this. But if you are an implementer, you need to really like identify, where you're going to draw boundaries for yourself. Cause before you know it, you could be putting in 80 hours a week into this business. If you're not good at outsourcing things. It's, it's funny you say that Kyle, cause I think of myself as a visionary and I think of you as both actually, I think Ryan's like a visionary, but he's better at implementing than me, but we don't, I don't think we have a true implementer, like somebody who's like, Maybe our producer, actually, he's an implementer. So that, there you go. But for that business, but um, it's, it's, I, I, I like that you said that. I think it's important to have that balance of, you don't want me being the one to be in the weeds yeah. and doing all that stuff. I just wouldn't be good at it. So find yeah. that right person. Exactly. Um, my favorite deal that I have is one that I just moved out of. Um, so, well, in- why'd you do that? <laughs> Well, I'm, I physically moved out of it because now I'm married and, and we, we needed to move out of one that I was Airbnb. Um, but here was the cool thing about it. So this was around property number six or seven, and I was really just getting my feet wet with the whole co-hosting thing. And I said, well, what if I could create almost like a faux co-hosting slash partnership in a deal? And, um, as I mentioned, my dad had passed away. I was still living at home helping my mom with the transition. I knew I'd needed to, to get out of there. I was going to drive myself crazy. So I was looking at um, how to be able to buy a, a house. But um, my big thing was I've kind of, you know, spoiled myself by doing this Airbnb thing and living at home for the last year for free. I, do, I, really, I just don't want to pay to live somewhere. And so what I did was I found the property. It was a three bedroom, one bath. And it had a one bedroom, one bath mother-in-law unit in the back. I ran the numbers and by living on the property in the one bedroom, one bath and renting out the the home in the front, I was going to be cash positive every month. So then I went one step further and I said, well, there's this little workshop in the back of that house that could be converted to another little studio. So why don't we do that? 
So I ran all these numbers. I presented it to an investor. I said, listen, if you put all the money up front to convert this back unit and to furnish the place, which ended up being about $70,000, I'll give you 25% of the equity and you'll have a 25% guaranteed note return. Um, he was getting essentially about $1,500 of, of cash flow every month and has 25% equity in the property. These are rough numbers. We bought it for 339, did those renovations, waited two years during, as you know, one of the peak times to own real estate refinanced it. And I got him off that note off of the, out of the equity. He no longer is a partner in it. When we refinanced, we refinanced for 575. So it, what, that was $245,000 of equity that we earned over the course of uh, 19, 20 months. So I was able to get him to pay to get me to live for free. I was still cash flowing. He was making money. He made a crazy good return in two years. I want to say it was 60% cash on cash returns over two years. And now I have over $200,000 of equity in a home that I have no money in. Um, and when I moved out, I put in one of my cleaners who needed a place to live in the unit that I was in. And now we're cash flowing at that property about $2,500 a month. So, whoa. So yeah. funny thing about this is, it sounds like to me, like I didn't catch at any point in time that you said that you had to fork up any money. Like, I mean, yeah. obviously may, like maybe during, if you had some repairs and stuff, but like you didn't put up any money to get into this. They fronted it for the renovations and everything. Did I guess the down payment initially, did you put up? I, I will say because of COVID, he got freaked out a little bit and I ended up putting up furniture for the main house. So it ended up being like $12,000. So that was to not originally. Sorry to cut you off. I'm just like, my, my head is spinning to get $245,000 worth of equity. Yeah. And and cash flow on top of that during the time while you were living there. Yeah. So it's like a house hack, short-term rental on steroids. Pretty yeah, cool. it, it was bonkers. And the crazy thing is, like, he kept on telling me in the deal, he's like, you know, like, I'm robbing you right now, right? And I'm like, yeah, but I'm also making great money. So, like, this is just a crazy good win-win. He's like, yeah, but you could just go refinance and get, like, the money a lot cheaper. And so you can tell that I had a really good relationship with, with this investor. Um, and that was eventually why we refinanced this. Cause he was like, dude, you just need to get me off this deal. He's like, I'm going to be happy. You're going to be happy. And so we did. So it Interesting. was, yeah. And then you also created, clearly created a good relationship with this cleaner. So you're giving this cleaner a place to stay. That's close to some of the properties that he or she may be cleaning. And then like you're giving them a place to live, building that really, like it's, it's just very cool. Yeah. We actually, three of our cleaners are long-term tenants of ours in properties like that, where they live in the studio um, and they just clean the main house. I was going to say, so that, that they're probably more willing to, I don't know if you're the only person they work for, probably not. They're probably more willing to respond to your inquiries being that they have this relationship built, but go ahead, right? Well, we keep talking about cleaners. And I just think about your whole team, right? To get this thing running efficiently. Can you talk to building one's team uh, their short-term rental team and like how people can go about doing this efficiently, uh, you know, and maybe also talk to the most important players on the team. I'm thinking, you know, definitely probably number one would be that, that cleaner, but what else is there? Yeah. I mean, for me, a cleaner is the most important person in terms of a role because I don't have a business if I don't have a cleaner. But in in regards to automating this and outsourcing it, I needed to clone and replace myself. Like I need someone thinking the exact same way as me so that they're not bugging me with decisions. And that's that was the first person I ever got. Um, so I find that if you can find really good cleaners, you can graduate them to new tasks and new positions in the company. And that's, you know, our top three people, our admin in our company, uh, my employees, the, the three employees that we have all started off as cleaners. And one of them is my CEO today. The other one is my cleaning manager. And the other one is our quality control manager. And so they all have essentially um, started off just saying, Hey, yes, sir. No, sir. And, and just really, were able to to prove themselves as I just gave them more responsibilities, more responsibilities, higher pay, higher pay to where I eventually said, okay, we want to bring you on as an employee and here's what I expect. And and now, you know, um, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, they just, I, all three of them 
responded to a little post I had on Facebook saying, Hey, looking for people to help me with my Airbnb business who wants to you know, get their hands dirty and clean some houses. And that, that's- that Kyle is the best story because it allows people to get in early, learn what you do, learn the business, build their way up and also like learn how everything works and how you want it to function. As opposed to you trying to go out later in when your business is already established and try to hire some CEO who thinks they know everything about what they're doing. Not that there's anything wrong with that either, but you're probably paying them significantly more more, or if you're not great, because you have this, this young person that you've brought up in your own system. So I, I think that, um, there's oftentimes the best people that know how to run businesses are the people that did the smallest tasks in the beginning to learn the ins and outs. So, yeah, well, and it's to do a, a, a sports reference, right? Like if, if I have someone who is a high school baseball player and I'm coming in and that's the first time I'm coaching them, I'm having to unteach them all these bad habits that they have. Whereas if I can start with them at the age of five and just take them all the way up, you know, I get to control every, well, not control, but I get to mold and get to show them the best way to be able to work into the way that I think it should be done. And, and so that, that to me, 100% is, is, uh, and, and, you know, on top of that, I'm just big on leadership. I'm like, I mentioned earlier, I'm big on self-development. And I think the number one way that you build a great team is by showing them that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And they're also a part of something that they can grow in. And so every one of our cleaners sees a growing business, sees someone that cares about them, sees a community of other cleaners. And we actually have all of our cleaners on a WhatsApp message. They, you know, help each other back and forth. They share funny videos. They share tips of the day. They do all this stuff. And, and now suddenly it was, Hey, I used to be a whatever stay at home mom, or I used to be a, you know, um, retired teacher and just bored at home. And now I'm a part of a community where I feel like I've got a little bit of a, uh, a sisterhood, you know, and, and that's, that's really kind of how a lot of them see it. And, and I think when you can do that, when you can create an environment like that, and you can also show them, you know, I call my cleaners uh, probably about once every three to four months and just say, Hey, how you doing? You know, was there anything I can do? And, and showing that kind of care and attention from, from the, the, the boss, you know, it can, can go a long way. Hey, why would they not want to work for you yeah. and with you? Yeah, I love that analogy. And I think just building camaraderie and something bigger than yourself, that's that's perfect, right? That drives people and helps them kind of see the bigger picture. I also want to talk about, it seems like Facebook is a hidden gem. You've mentioned that a couple of times um, and just like how to connect people, right? And get get a feel for their background a little bit and like kind of dissect who you're hiring. So can you talk to that and, I, and also touch on your Facebook page? I'm not sure if we dove in on that yet, but you do have a very large Facebook community here for- The largest, I think. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Airbnb masterminds. If you guys want to go check that out, it's a free Facebook page, uh, largest in the world for Airbnb hosts over 120,000 members. Uh, you know, just, just like anything, it's a great, great Facebook group that you'll see a lot of good stuff. And then a lot of the haters. (laughs) Um, but what I will say is, uh, I, I think it's not that Facebook is a, is a hidden gem. It's just the, the ability to be able to um, have warm resources with warm introductions at your fingertips to me is the most important thing. So maybe that's Facebook for you. Maybe that's you're in a real estate meetup group and you have a great relationship with a bunch of people um, in that meetup group. Maybe you're a part of, you know, maybe you go to church every single Sunday and, you know, you're able to share with the congregation, Hey, you know, I just started a business and I'm looking for good people. I don't know what that looks like for you, but for me, I just know that I try to keep my life very positive on Facebook. And so the people that I add, I'm very intentional about who I add. And then of course, you know, the people that see me, they see me going live and talking about my Airbnb business. They see me, you know, posting pictures of, of me and my family and all these things. And I think it attracts, you know, the right kind of person that I'm looking for. So I feel very comfortable going onto Facebook and saying, Hey, looking for new cleaners. And, and that's been our main source of, of all of our cleaners has been just social media. And we used to use Facebook marketplace, but recently I think they took down the ability to, to post jobs on Facebook marketplace. Cause we tried that a few times in the last few months and haven't seen that change or just saw that change. Um, but you know, I realize that's not super duplicatable. So to me, if you are trying to go out there and do this, um, turnover BNB is actually a really good resource. Um, you can find anyone wanting to clean your short-term rental that 
uh, they'll, they'll bid on what they would want to charge you for that. And that's a great place to be able to not only find cleaners, but also automate the, the cleaning process. Um, and then, you know, I would just really join other types of groups. If you're going to get serious about this, I would, I would join BNI groups. I would join chamber of commerce groups. I would get into real estate meetup groups. And you'll find just by doing that, that someone's got a daughter who just graduated from college and is looking for a transition and wants to make a little bit of money on the weekdays while she's trying to figure things out. And there's, there's a potential cleaner for you, you know, just the more people, you know, really like it. One last thing I want to touch on before we wind down the show, um, tips and tricks for maximizing the algorithm and optimizing listings. Um, cause I know, right. There's a whole schematics behind this thing, right? Yeah. You, you don't just magically pop up on Airbnb and you have a, don't have the, always have the prettiest listings, right? So can you talk to tips and tricks for people to get their listing to the top of the algorithm and, and, you know, kind of keep chugging along these, these, um, bookings over and over. Yeah. So let, let's walk through the, the journey really quick of booking an Airbnb. So, um, have either one of you booked an Airbnb recently? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. To visit. Yes. Okay. Just, we both did for separate bachelor parties. Yeah. Cool. Nice. So, you identify the location, right? We're going to go, let's just call it which, which locations you guys Pocono go to. mountains. That's where I'm going this week. Austin, baby. Texas. Use Austin, Texas. Austin, okay. Austin. <laughs> so you already know I Austin, right? Did you and your group kind of define like, Hey, here's the budget we're looking at before going on Airbnb or. Yeah. There was like this, um, kind of a poll that went out that was saying, okay, you know, do you guys want to spend 200 each a night, 400 each a night, 600 each a night. That was kind of how it went out. Yeah. Okay. So just for the sake of it, Hey, we're cool with a thousand dollar per night Airbnb. So you're able to go to Austin, Texas. You're able to set your adjustment to a thousand dollars or less per night and now call it, you know, a thousand places pop up. The reason that the, the first 10 to 20 that you see are there is they have a few different things in common. They have high quality pictures. They have great reviews. They're either a brand new host that has, you know, Airbnb loves brand new hosts. They want to get them wins right away. You'll see people all the time. I post my place on Airbnb and I couldn't believe it. I had five bookings in the first 24 hours. Airbnb wants to push those to the top. The, on the other side of it, they want to push super hosts to the top as well. So if you have great reviews, if you have professional photos, if you're a super host, if you're doing some of these things already, then you're already going to be able to get pushed towards the top. But taking you through that journey a little bit more, what's the, if, if I'm looking at the, the first 20 right there, what's that very first thing that catches my eye? When you guys were looking in Austin, Texas, what's the very first thing that's catching your eye? If you're already in the location, you already know that you've got your price settings. What's the very first thing that catches your eye? Probably the quality and quantity of photos. Yeah. So that, so that very first photo, right? Like if, if you've got, because you've got the map over here, but then you've got this list of things over here and you're like, okay, cool. That one's got a hot tub. Boom. I've so amenities, you know, the, that one thing that just catches your eye, that eye popping thing, maybe it's a hot tub. Maybe it's, you know, the, uh, uh, we got one just the other day with a basketball court and maybe it's the game room, you know, the, something that makes it different from the rest. That first photo is going to grab their attention. So what are you going to do after you see that first photo? You're, you're going to click on that listing and you get into the listing. Now, what's the next thing that you're doing after seeing the first photo, you probably want to see. More number photos, of beds. Right? Yeah. For all the photos. Oh yeah. 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 More yeah. photos and the number of beds. That would be what I would look at. Yeah. Yeah. So number of beds for sure. I should have mentioned that in the beginning, you're probably setting that on your filters as well. Right. Maybe you say, Hey, I need eight beds. And so you set that as your filter. So, so now I'm looking at all the photos, but the thing about Airbnb is that those top five photos is most of the time what people will look at before they move on to the next step. So I love those top five photos. I see that the kitchen is huge. I see that they got the pool in the backyard plus the hot tub. I see that the front of the house is super appealing and then giant rooms. And then, you know, you got the, the living room with the, the ping pong table or the pool table also like I'm, I'm down the first five photos got me. So now I want to see, well, is this host actually a good host? I'm going to go look at the reviews. So if you start looking at reviews, that's the next journey that it's essentially the guest is taking. And then once they see, okay, photos are great. It matches my, all my qualifications. Reviews are great. 
Now I just need a few little details filled in. I'm going to go to the description and I'm going to see, okay, I've got 16 guys. Where are these 16 guys going to sleep? Okay, cool. In the description, it says there's 12 beds. I can make that work. Um, oh, okay, cool. So the hot tub is there, but it looks like they're charging $50 a night. Maybe I can find a place that's doing the hot tub for free as part of it. You know, and these are the things that you start. That's kind of the journey that the guest is going through. So Airbnb is taking that journey and they're, algor- they're, they're doing an algorithm based around that journey of we want high quality photos. We want great reviews and we want you to fill in as much as possible on that description and all those boxes that will give the guests a seamless transition and knowing what they can expect from your place. So if you, if you do that, if you take that idea into this process, then you can essentially say, okay, I'm going to always be updating my photos. I'm always going to be updating my description. I'm always going to be making sure to um, add amenities. If I see the opportunity, Airbnb sees you as an active host, as you're editing that listing again and again and again, and they're going to continue to force you to the top because you're just putting time and attention into your listing. This is, first of all, that was incredible advice. Thank you so much. Yeah. And it's apparent that you are extremely, you, you're knowledgeable about this and you're skilled, which leads me to my next point here about you have a coaching business mm-hmm. built around helping people. Well, you tell us, is it finding, finding Airbnbs? Is it doing the arbitrage? Is it doing the co-living? Is it all of the above? What do you help people do in your coaching business? We help people build a six figure business in under 12 months. Um, so there Sounds you go. To me. So no matter if you want to own arbitrage or co-host, uh, we've got the community to be able to do that. And um, I, I have built, just like I built a really good Airbnb team, I built a really good Airbnb coaching program around the backs of people who do things a little bit better than me. Uh, we have coaches for market eval. We have coaches for ownership. We have coaches for arbitrage and co-hosting for interior design. So they're going to learn from not just me, but our community of coaches that are going to level you up and make sure that you learn the best way to do every aspect of this business. And uh, easiest way to do that, again, uh, you know, I already mentioned the, the masterclass. That masterclass is the best place to start. It's a freebie. And what that allow you to do is learn a little bit, and then you'll uh, be invited to fill out an application for us to see if you're a good fit for our coaching program. And if you are, you'll be getting a call from um, my onboarding specialist, Joss, who also has about 10 Airbnbs of his own. And, um, and he's been a part of our program for a while as well. And we'll be able to, to give you all the details. That's amazing. So thank you for sharing. And um, I'm interested to learn from you in just a sense of, we're, we're, we're real estate investors. So we want to purchase our own Airbnb, our own short-term rentals and and learn the systems that you use to have a streamlined business. So it's amazing. I think we've made it to the core four. Yeah, let's start. So basically the core four is four questions just to get to know you on a little bit of a more personal level. Let, let the audience hear a little bit more of your backstory, but we'll start you off easy. First question is what is your favorite business related real estate invest, real estate related or investing book that you've read that's helped propel you to the next level? Uh, I will say the dream manager is one of my favorite books. Um, no, almost no one has heard about this when I mentioned no, it. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's an investing, it's an investment in your self-development for leadership um, and running a business. So amazing book, go check it out hundred percent of the time, especially if you are wanting to build a business, it's going to help you build a great culture. Cool. So question two, let's say somebody handed you $50,000. You're not taxed on it. Discretionary income. Where you are in your business right now, what would you do with that money? Are you ready to go spend it somewhere? Have you got to a point where you're like, I need to spend some money? Do you, would you reinvest it? Just tell us what you would do with an extra $50,000 knowing the way the market is. After the taxes that hit me this year, I'm going to, I'm going to go and get some more assets. (laughs) Um, I, it's funny that you mentioned that. I'm, I just got done talking with my wife about this. We want to get uh, a couple ADUs added on to our, our existing property. So I would probably get a ADU or a tiny house built on one of our properties. Okay. Awesome. I like that. What has been your biggest mistake you've made along your investing journey so far and how have you learned from it? Um, investing journey or just overall or business? Career? Yeah. Whole business, career. investing, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Not getting a mentor sooner uh, from the time I was 22 to the time I was 28. I really just had zero mentors. Um, and when I finally 
my, one of my first mentors was a short-lived one. He was actually the owner and founder of Max Preps. If you guys know about Max Preps. Yes, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, I mean, just the conversation, I remember I shut down my business about two months later after having a conversation with him. And I realized after that conversation, I should have done it at least two years before. And I probably lost two years of my life without getting advice from someone that knew more than I did. So get a mentor and then 100% uh, listen to what they say. <laughs> Love that. Uh, question to parlay off that. Do you, when you say mentor, do you mean coach as well, or do they fall in the same bucket? And also how does one go about finding a great mentor and how'd you do it? Yeah, I, I think it goes in the same bucket. Um, I, I was blessed enough to actually go to college with the son of this guy. So, so that's how I found him. But I mean, there was plenty of people in my life that I look back on and I'm like, man, if I just asked them for a little bit of advice and sit down, that could have easily been a mentorship type of relationship. Um, I think you're either going to pay for a mentor in, uh, in with money, or you're going to pay for it with your value. And so, um, one of my major mentors today, his name is John. Um, he, he helped me get into to flipping houses along with fortune builders. You know, I paid fortune builders, but then John came behind me and said, Hey, you know, if you want some help, I'll, I'll provide it to you. And to me, like, you know, the way that I was able to pay him back was taking on some of his Airbnbs and managing them for free, because I just was like, you know, you've given me so much. I feel like giving this back to you. Um, and so just identify like where your strengths are uh, video for me. in the beginning was, was my strength. So I started a YouTube channel and a podcast and I got in the same room as uh, you know, guys like Don Costa who lives in my backyard and was able to get him on my podcast. And he usually probably would not have had a conversation with a guy like me, but because I had a podcast and YouTube channel, he was down. So just identifying some of those strengths so that you can get in front of higher level people, I think is, is super crucial. Yeah. It's amazing, Kyle. We live in an instant gratification world and society, but it's also never been easier to circumvent the system and put yourself in the front of people that can really help you. So mm -hmm. it kind of goes hand in hand where it's like, yeah, everything, everybody wants things now, 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 but 25 years ago, you'd have to, what would you do to find a mentor? You'd have to call random people on the phone. You'd use your own network, but now you have these computers that are strapped to your body all day. And if you create some sort of a brand online, you have some validity. And then before you know it, Kyle and Corey and Ryan are talking and there's already a, a, some sort of uh, relationship formed there. Who knows who we know that you would like to know and vice versa. So yeah. I mean, especially with YouTube and, and podcasts, I mean, geez, you know, all that's where all my students found me. And, you know, we got, we got a guy on our, uh, in our program who literally signed up 12 weeks ago and already has 12 contracts signed for arbitrage and co-hosting. He grossed, uh, he's, he's on pace to gross a six figure business after month one and on pace to net a six figure business after month two. Like, you know, that's how quickly it can happen. And all you got to do is just do a little Google, Google search. Well, cool. Cool. Hey, before we get to the last question on here, um, can you explain the, the whole brand, your whole brand fearless Kyle and where that comes from and, and the why behind it? I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, when it comes down to it, just fear, I think is the number one thing that holds people back from ever taking action. Every single day I talk to people who are worried about losing money, worried about making the wrong choice, worried about this and, and they're looking over their, their shoulder rather than looking in, in the future and, and really what could be possible. And so one of my favorite quotes is um, fear will push you until vision pulls you. And so in order for us to be pulled by vision, we have to be fearless. And so I, I started off in real estate, as you guys know, so it was fearless flipping. And then I don't really talk about flipping anymore. So now it's the fearless investor um, is, is the name of my podcast and YouTube channel. So um, I just think that, and I'm, I'm a victim of this too. You know, it's, you, you start accumulating and you start, you know, getting really good at something and you start, you, you're, you're tempted to look over your back. What if, what if, what if, but you have to keep on striving for, no, it's not about what if it's absolutely about what, what's in front of you and what you can accomplish. Yep. I, I love it, Kyle. I think, uh, you can't truly succeed unless you do fail. So having no fear of failing will help you get there faster. At least yeah. that's the way I see it. So absolutely. Um, awesome. The last question of the core four is what do you want your legacy to be? I imagine that you uh, are doing what you're doing for some sort of 
reason, right? What do you wake up every day? What, what, what gets you motivated to, to build this business the way that you have? Yeah. Um, you know, we get in the rooms with masterminds and, you know, it seems like no matter what room you're in, you've got just a bunch of achievers and sometimes they've got this nailed down and sometimes they don't. And, you know, this, this to me is something I'm still trying to put fully into words. But what I do know is after I got to about $10,000 of net income per month, I asked myself that question and I just, I just think it would be selfish for me to not keep going, you know, like my, my CEO would not have a full-time job. You know, she would not, she made $7,000 a couple months ago. Again, she's paid based on performance and she hit me up and she said, if we didn't have this money this month, I have no idea what, what I would have done because my husband just got laid off and we got two kids, you know? And so had I stopped at $10,000 of net income, you know what she'd be making, she'd be making like a thousand dollars a month. And then she would have to be looking for other jobs. And so it's just things like that, that I just feel like, man, if, if you're going to start a business, you're, you're going to get to a certain point where you fulfill your own needs, but now it becomes about fulfilling those that are around you. Same reason I started the coaching program is because people just kept asking me for help. And it's like, I would feel completely selfish to not share this as an opportunity to, to help other people. And yeah, I got to charge people because it's, it's, it's my time and I value my time. But at the same time, uh, now we're creating opportunities for other people to level up around us. So I guess that's the legacy. As long as people level up around me, uh, I had to say it out loud to, to really, to really figure this out. But as long as, uh, as long as I'm leveling up people around me, uh, that's the legacy that I want to live. It's very admirable. I like that a lot. Yeah. And, um, I think it's a similar reason why we're continuing to do the podcast aside from the fact that we love it, but we're getting to your episode 107. And now we feel like we have the civic duty to continue to share our story, continue to bring cool people on. We look at the, we posted a review on our Instagram today and just, I'm like, people love what we're doing. I have, we have to keep going. Like this is, it's a beautiful thing. Whatever this is that we've created, it feels good. So it's so needed. So fun, real quick one for you guys today, but I'm still, we're sitting down on my W2 today and we're just going around. We had, we had some lull time, I, I guess some, the next stage of what we were doing, someone was in a meeting and we just had, so we had some downtime and we got on the topic of financial planning, 401ks. And there's a couple of young people on my team that are just like right out of college, like 22 to 26 ish age. And none of them knew how to set up their 401k or what to invest at in work at work. And I went down one by one to each person's desk and walked them through like the, why you need to set this up, why you need to do the employer match, what you should potentially invest in. Because like, I work with these people every day and I just like, I felt the civic duty, as you said, I'm like, yeah. they're screwed. They're just going to wait five more years to set this up, lose so much on their time horizon. And so it, it blew my mind. And it really showed me once again, to Corey's point is like, this is so needed and people have a lack of information and they just, a lot of people just don't do anything. Like there's like, Oh, I'll just push it down the line. And then you never really realize what you're missing out on and and what you're giving up by not doing things sooner. So kind of to your, basically back to your business, right. You could have done something two years sooner had you not got the coach and a lot of things like that. So I just think about time and the one thing that we can't get back and it made me feel good and whole, right. To level up those around me. I'm like, it's just one little tiny thing I did for them, but I know they'll look back in 10 years. I'm like, Holy crap. Thank God. Ryan told me to set this thing up because I, I would have missed out on all this free money with employer match. So just a quick one, but I, I, uh, I did my duty for today. So I felt good. Good stuff, man. Good job. Okay. We've made it to the last drop. So knowing what you know now, Kyle, what advice would you give your younger self? Let's say you went back to your 18-year-old self and you had a conversation. I don't know if my 18-year-old self would listen to me, but maybe yours would listen to you. I learned about passive income. I did not learn that term until I was 26 years old. And I felt like I was just completely robbed of many, many years of you know an opportunity to start thinking outside the box a little bit. My dad was a business owner and all I ever saw him be, if you've ever read the E-Myth, he was a technician in the business, he, a little bit of manager, but he had to be there. He had to be doing everything to make money. And so I just always thought, okay, business owner is nice because you don't have to answer to people, but you still have to work 50 to 60 hours a week. But then when I was told to turn passive income at 26 years old, I was just like, what do you mean you can make money in your sleep? What do you mean you can accumulate wealth by buying something today? And then it grows in value tomorrow. So, um, 
Yeah. And, that, and that's become a, a, a passion of mine. I really, um, I keep talking about it. And I want to start this, but one of the the missions that I'm on is to, to start essentially what, whatever you want to call it. It's probably not a nonprofit, but just, you know, an education system where I don't get paid. I just do it for free. And I go to high school, um, athletes and, and, you know, young athletes that are just all they're thinking about is how I'm going to get to the majors, how I'm going to get to the, to pros and not thinking about what they're going to do in terms of financial, um, literacy. And I want to teach that at a younger age. Beautiful. I think the majority of entrepreneurs, I don't have the statistic in front of me of the percentage, but I think the majority of entrepreneurs are the business that they're in. Uh, They're a very, very skilled contractor. They're a very, very skilled craftsman. They're a very, very skilled salesperson. They're very, very skilled at building something, but then they end up being in reverse a slave to the job, to their own job that they own, but they're never able to scale and get out of it. So if they love it enough, then it may not matter. But for us, we've always said like, yeah, how can we scale something to the point where we don't have to show up every day? And that is the name of the game of passive income. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, This episode has been amazing. Uh, I think it's a really deep dive into a different side of Airbnb, the actual management of it, the process, the business behind the management. We really enjoyed it. If if people want to learn more about you, they want to network, get in touch, maybe join your coaching program. What's the best way for people to get in, in contact with you? Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, the, the podcast and YouTube channel is called the fearless investor. My website is fearlesskyle.com. on Instagram. I'm fearless Kyle. Uh, I think that's when I'm on TikTok as well. And yeah, th- those are the best ways. If, if you can't find me just by searching fearless investor, or fearless Kyle, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, Kyle, Fantastic. thanks again for joining the show. It was an honor to have you on. We look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, guys. Really had fun. Thanks for tuning in this week. If you enjoyed the show and like what you heard, please subscribe, share with friends, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The more ratings we get, the more eyes we'll get on our show, and in turn, we'll be able to provide you all with high-quality guests. It's simple. Open your podcast app, type in our podcast name, The Weekly Juice, click on reviews, and let us know what you think. Thanks so much, and see you next week. 